Lord, we thank you so much for the blessing that you are through people and in people. And we just ask that you would bless us again through Eric this morning, guide his thoughts. And we especially pray for him this coming week, that you would just just be with him in the responsibility that he has and just just fill his cup. And we look to you through him this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. It's good to be with you this morning. I was thinking about that stagnant water and I struggle a little bit this morning feeling that way as I share with you that you might think, here we go again. It's, uh, I don't mean for this message to be discouraging. It could come across that way, so please take it as I mean it. Uh, we as Christian people, as children of God, we all talk to God, whether it's an audible prayer or whether it's a, a prayerful state of mind. But how many of you have spoken with God today? Raise your hand. Many of you, almost all of you have. We speak to God. God cares about us. God knows our hearts. He knows our minds. He hears our prayers. We have a plaque in our house that I like. It says, God hears even the very silent prayer of a sincere heart. We don't have to have our words right. If our heart is right, and as we pray to God, He will hear that sincere prayer. And I like this saying here, Thy will be done, the prayer that never fails. And the phrase at the end of that, it says, never fails. The prayer that never fails. Is there prayer that fails? Something for you to think about. Is there prayer that fails? But God hears us. We praise God. We thank God. We ask God for things. I was thinking about prayer this morning and there were several public prayers this morning that we all, we heard and we take part in the public prayers, whether it's in agreement or as we pray ourselves as someone prays publicly. But in those prayers, there were a lot of petitions made to God or asking God for things. We ask for God's guidance and directing our lives. We ask for his blessing on our day or on our activities, what we're about to do. We ask for healing whether it's physical or spiritual healing, we ask God for that. We ask God for salvation for a loved one or for a friend, someone we know, we ask Him for that. We ask God for very specific things in our life. You don't need to raise your hand, but how many of you have asked God for something specific in your life? Probably all of you would say yes. You have asked for something very specific in your life. You've asked God for Direction regarding a career or a, a job. You've asked God for children. You've asked God for a, a dream or an ambition that you, something you want to do, something you have your eyes set on and you want to do it and you ask God to help make that happen. 
And you can probably think of other specific things that you have asked God for in your life. And there are times when all of you have asked for something specific and God has granted that. He said, yes, I'm going to do that. And I've, I've told you stories here of times when I've maybe lost something or needed something and I pray to God for what we would think is a silly thing and we say, please help me find this or help me do this. And he, he does. And he answers with a yes and it's a faith builder for us and it's a, a boost for us when God answers yes. Many, many, many times he answers yes. We pray for healing. If we're, we have something as simple as a cold, we'll pray that we get over it. And we do. God heals. And we think, well, that's just the course of life. Yes, it is, but God heals. God brings healing many, many, many times. He answers with a yes. But my question this morning is, what about the times that God answers with a no? When, God, when we pray... And God says no. Now there's some teaching out there that says God never answers with a no. Never ever answers with a no. I disagree. Um, I think there's enough teaching and examples throughout the scripture that we can see God does answer with a no. And as you read into this, I think it's more of a terminology thing than anything. But I believe... God will answer our prayers with a no, sometimes. I'll let you uh, ponder that a little bit. But what about those times when God says no? There are many cases in the Bible of people who have asked God for something and God simply said no. A few right off the top of my head that I thought of, and I'm sure you can think of more, are the disciples were traveling with Jesus and they were upset with some people and wanted to call down fire from heaven. He said, let's punish these people. And Jesus, God said, no, that's not how we do this. No. Paul had a thorn in the flesh and we don't know what that was. You can read 30 different commentaries and get that many different answers as to what that thorn in the flesh was. And I don't know that it really matters. It was something that he didn't want. I think it was probably a physical something that he had. He prayed three times for God to remove that, to take it away from him, and God said no. Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he prayed, let this cup pass from me. If there's any other way for you to redeem mankind to yourself, rather than having me go through this, Let's do that, but not your will, but mine be done. I would like not to have to go through this, Jesus said, but God said no. David wanted to build a temple for God, and God told him no. Maybe there are times in your life that you can think of times when you've asked God for something that you wanted to do, or something that you thought would be a good idea, something that should happen. And God told you no. How do we deal with that? How do we, how do we respond when God says no? When you look at those, just those few examples I gave, they're really no different than what we come to God asking Him for. Paul had a physical need. 
If I would ask you, if you have ever come to God with a physical need, either for yourself or for somebody else, praying for healing or for, for something regarding a physical need, every hand would go up. We've all prayed that. Jesus had, as I was making my notes here, I was trying to think what Jesus' problem or dilemma was in the garden. Was it a spiritual need? Well, not really. Yes and no. Was it emotional? Was it physical? It was all of those things. I'm not sure what to pin it down to. And we've all been there too, to some degree or another, not knowing exactly whether it's an emotional problem or just a turmoil that we need to be released from. And and God says, no, not right now. No. David had a dream he wanted to fulfill. And I, I know of several of you who have wanted to go ahead and, and do something in life. Um, not right or wrong. It's something you wanted to go and do. And God said no. He shut the door and he said no. So really these examples of people in Scripture who God said no to is no different than our, our lives today where God says no. But what, what does the Bible Teach us our appropriate responses when God says no. The short answer is this. Parents, you'll understand. Children, you'll also understand. When God tells us no, the short answer is it's really no different than a parent telling a child no. Because the parents know better. They have a lot more insight into what's going on. So God telling us no in many regards is no different than a parent telling a child no. As we look at Scripture, look at the Bible and look throughout 6,000 years of history we can look back on, God speaks to mankind in many different ways. Mostly it's through His Word, through the Holy Spirit, through godly advice, and then through circumstances. But He uses this the circumstances to me is a little bit different. He uses that to me more of a, a confirmation of what he's teaching, but he still uses circumstances of open or closed doors to show us what he wants, to say yes or to say no. But he teaches, he speaks to us through his word and through the Holy Spirit and through godly counsel, godly people or the brotherhood or the church. When we come to God seeking an answer, or we come to him seeking a blessing, or we come to him seeking direction. As godly people, we have already exhausted some of those avenues that God speaks to us. And what I mean by that is, there's nowhere in the Bible that teaches, that says, you need to change careers. This is the job you need to take. This is what you need to do from here. This is, there's nowhere in scripture that says, yes, I will heal your friend from cancer. Yes, I will heal such and such a person. It doesn't say that in the Bible. So we, we've exhausted that one. So now we are seeking the Holy Spirit's what he's going to teach us, what he's going to tell us, yes or no. And we can find that through godly counsel, through the brotherhood. God speaks in that way as well. So we continue to seek. We ask. We wait on the Holy Spirit. We seek advice. 
from godly people. But when we come to God in this way, we come with an outcome in mind already many times. Not every time, but many times we have an outcome in mind already because we're praying for something specific. We pray, I would like it to turn out like this. God, please, please do this. And you fill in the blank, whatever that is, whatever experience you've been through in your life. We pray, God, please do this. We pray for health or success or to bless our day. That's the specific things that we pray for. But because we have an outcome in mind and what we're praying for is something we want, I find it very difficult to hear a no from God in those cases. It's something that I want. So it's hard to hear a no. We've established that God speaks through circumstances or he speaks through godly people. When I hear a no from God through godly people's counsel, it's easy for me just to say, well, that's fallible humanity. That's not God speaking. When I hear a yes through godly counsel, it's easy for me to say, thank you, God, for speaking through people. When I hear a no through, through circumstances or what we would call closed doors, I would say, that's just life. Life is like that sometimes. When I hear a yes from God through an open door, I'd say, thank you, God, for the, the clear direction that you've given me. It's so difficult to set my own will and my own ambitions aside and treat that God speaking to us, treat it equally. Eventually, when we seek God with a true and a pure and a humble, sincere heart, we will be able to discern a no from God. But hearing no from God is hard. The more, the more our heart is set on something, the harder it is to accept, well, to hear, first of all, and then to accept a no. The more our heart is set on something, the more we want or desire something. And it can lead to a lot of questions. I have seen people in life who have gotten a no from God. They've gotten a no. And it leads to questions, a lot of deep questions in life. And things as, as severe as, is God unfair? Is God fair? Does God care? And we all know, of course God cares. But when we get a no for something that we really want, it brings some of these questions to our minds. Turn with me to Second Samuel chapter 7. I'd like to consider several things about God's no in your life. And again, I don't want this to be discouraging, but I know it's something that many of you have and all of you probably will experience is God saying no at some time in your life. Second Samuel chapter 7. I'll read the first seven verses. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 1, And it came to pass, when the king sat in his house, and the Lord had given him rest round about from all his enemies, that the king said unto Nathan the prophet, See how I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwelleth within curtains. And Nathan said unto the king, Go, do all that is in thine heart, for the Lord is with thee. And it came to pass that night, that the word of the Lord came unto Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, Thus saith the Lord, Shalt thou build me a house 
for me to dwell in? Whereas I have not dwelt in any house since the time that I brought up the children of Israel out of Egypt, even to this day, but have walked in a tent and in a tabernacle. In all the places wherein I have walked with all the children of Israel, spake I a word at any of the tribes of Israel whom I commanded to feed my people Israel, saying, Why build ye me not in house of cedar? I'll stop reading there. David was at the peak of his reign. He had just learned... If you look at the chapter before this, in chapter 6, he had just learned a very painful but valuable lesson about honoring God and reverencing God. He, had, he was bringing the Ark of the Covenant back in an ox cart and it went over that rough spot and Uzzah reached out to touch, to steady the Ark and God struck him dead right there. There is a proper way to do the things of God and that was not it. And Uzzah was killed and it shook David up he thought he was doing the right thing, but he realized that his reverence for God was not what it should be. So they took the Ark of the Covenant and they moved it into the, the house of Obed-Edom, who was right there. They moved it into his house for a time. After a while, David realized what he had done. He was reverencing God the way he should and they brought the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem like they had started to do, but they did it the right way. They did it properly. So David had just learned this valuable lesson and now we read in chapter 7, And it came to pass that the king sat in, sat in his house, and the Lord had given him rest, round about from all his enemies. So what do kings do when they don't have wars to fight? I was thinking throughout the Old Testament, Nebuchadnezzar, when he didn't have a war to fight, he uh, boasted. He said, look at this that I have made. And God sent him out into the field for seven years. When Solomon didn't have wars to fight, he collected wives. What do kings do? David was sitting in his house. He had been given rest round about. And I think this valuable lesson he had just learned, he was close to God at this time. And I think he's, he's thinking, what can I do? I, I need an undertaking, something to do. And I'm just putting myself in the place of David here. But I wonder if he, the light came on and he said, ha, huh, I am the ruler of the mightiest nation in the world and I live in this, this wonderful house and God, who has got me here, I believe he recognized that. He lives in a tent that's hundreds of years old. Why don't I've got time on my hands? Why don't I build a house for God? And if David would, would say that to you today, if he would come up here and he would say that, we would say, good idea. Why don't we do that? And so Nathan thought that too. Nathan is a prophet of God and he said, I see no problem with that. Why would God not be okay with David building a house for him? Let Go ahead, David. God is with you in, in all that you're going to do with this. Is David wrong? I don't think he is. He's doing a good thing. Um... He went about it the right way. He sought godly counsel from Nathan. Nathan said, go for it. The first thing I want to look at here about responding to a no from God is this. God might say no to good things. Just because it's a good thing doesn't mean that God is for it. God might say no to good things. We can't argue that David's heart was in the, right, was in the wrong place. His heart was in the right place here. His motives were pure and honorable. 
Building the temple for God was a noble thing. He went about it the right way. I think David rightly concluded, now is the time, now is a good time to move forward with this project. But that night, God came to Nathan and he said, David can't build the temple for me. I do not want David to build the temple, so that's a no. Go back and tell David, no. I don't think I'll take the time to read this, but from verses 5 through 17 is the message that God told Nathan to tell David. And in a nutshell, what he says is this. He says, David, I took you from the lowliest job, the youngest in your family, the littlest guy. You were a shepherd. I took you to being ruler over my people Israel. I was with you wherever I went. And as I was reading through this, I was, you can look back, and we know the story of David good enough that we can know exactly what God's talking about. He says, I was with you wherever you went. I got rid of all your, your enemies. I made your name great like the great men around you. I gave Israel a place to call home. I established them. And then he says, David, I will establish your kingdom forever. You may not build me a temple, but I will establish your kingdom forever and you will have a son coming after you and he will build me a temple. That is the message that God gave to Nathan to give to David. So again, putting myself in the place of David here, I had just come up with this wonderful plan and I bet David had it pictured in his mind already what this was going to look like who he was going to have in charge of certain parts of the building. I'm using my imagination here. I don't know. But if it was me and I was excited about something like this, I would think we can start now. I'll have this person do this. This one be in charge of this. It's going to look like this. And Nathan comes to David the next morning and he says, God said no. And I have to wonder if David felt like the rug was just pulled right out from under him. And I, I would imagine his first thought was, well, why not? What could possibly be wrong with this? Why not? Let's look at verse 18. 2 Samuel 7, verse 18. This is David's response. Then went King David in and sat before the Lord. And he said, Who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house that thou hast brought me hitherto? And he's not complaining. I like the picture of David. He just got the carpet pulled out from under him and he goes in and he sat before the Lord. He was, he was taking his time with this and he says, God, well, I wonder what all was going through his mind, what all the prayer was. We have record of some of it here. What was he saying? What was he thinking? But his first response is, God, I'm humbled. I see that you've brought me from, from a nobody to arguably the greatest man of my time. I'm ruler of your people. The humility that he has. He went and he sat before the Lord. We have no record of David resenting God or doubting God's decision in this no record of that he thanked God for being the God he is 
He thanked God for doing the things he has done and he thanked God for doing the things he is going to do. If you take some time and read verses 5 through 17 and the message that, that God gave Nathan to give to David, and that will make a little more sense. God said, this is who I am, this is what I've done, this is what I'm going to do. And David thanked him and he blessed him for that. Even though he had just received a no. He didn't tell David, you're not good enough. He didn't even explain in this account why not? And we don't have record of David asking why not. Later on in First Chronicles, there's two places in chapter 22 and 28 where God explains a little more why he, can't, why he isn't supposed to build the temple. He says, you are a man of war. You have shed too much blood to build the temple. The temple is to be built in a time of peace. Your son is going to reign. Solomon is going to reign in a time of peace. And he is the one to build the temple. But there's no explanation here in 2 Samuel why David was not allowed to build the temple. But we don't find him doubting. We don't find him resenting God. Whenever we pray, but especially when we get a no from God, our prayers need to be God-centered and God-exalting. And that's what David had. He had a God-centered prayer and he had a God-exalting prayer. It's easy to lose perspective or it's easy to get discouraged when we have a no from God. I've experienced that. When you get a no from God to lose perspective. We have a little ritual in our house. When one of our children loses perspective after they receive a no, we will have them take some time and recite things they are thankful for until they regain that perspective. And sometimes it goes on quite a while until they regain that perspective. And it usually works, but it takes some time. And as I was thinking about that, it really is no different. When we lose our perspective, when God gives us a no, I think God wants us to just sit down and he says, all right, I've told you no. Now tell me, be thankful for the yeses that I've given you. All the yeses. And that's what David did. He said, God, I thank you for what you've done. I thank you for what you're about to do, what you're going to do, to regain that perspective. In Second, I'm sorry, in First Chronicles 22, David is talking to Solomon. I think this is near the end of his life. And he's encouraging Solomon. He says, I was going to build the temple. God said no. And I think he explains it here. It's either here or in chapter 28. Why not? He said, I'm a man of, I was a man of war. I've shed too much blood. You are a man of peace. This is a time of peace in Israel. You are the one to build the temple. God said you are the one. He said, God said he's going to establish our kingdom forever. And David said, I've prepared all of the building materials. I've prepared all the workmen. And he did. David, he didn't build the temple, but he prepared a lot of building materials. He laid a lot of the groundwork so that Solomon could just plunge right in and go ahead and build this temple. He didn't resent not being the one. He didn't resent God saying, I don't want you to go ahead. But he enabled the one who God did choose to go ahead. I think that's a good example of how we can deal with a no in our life. Another thing I'd like to look at is this. God might not answer specifically what we ask for, but he will 
reward the prayer of faith. Think about that for a little bit. God might not answer specifically what we ask for, but he will reward the prayer of faith. In Hebrews 11, and you probably are familiar with this verse, verse 6, it says, But without faith it is impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So a question for you, and I want you to think about this just for a minute or two. Is your faith such that you believe that God will do the specific thing you ask him? Is your faith such that you believe God will do the specific thing that you ask him? Jesus taught us how to pray. And immediately your mind goes to the Lord's Prayer, and that's good. But he taught us how to pray all the way down to the Garden of Gethsemane. He had a specific prayer. He said, Father, let this cup pass from me. That's what he specifically wanted. But then he said, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. That's how we need to pray. But what I struggle with in that is I use that phrase because I have a lack of faith. I don't know if you can relate to this or not, but sometimes when I have a specific something that I'm praying for, more than just finding my lost keys, it's something that there, I, I don't see a solution for. I see no way I can do this. And I would pray for something. Maybe it's for somebody's healing. Somebody has a, a terminal illness and we all know, we all believe God is able to do anything. He can heal anybody from anything. But I pray that God would heal this person and I say, but your will be done. In other words, in my lack of faith, what I'm saying is, please heal that person, but I'm not really sure if you can, so whatever you come up with is fine. Is your faith such that you think or that you believe that God will do the specific thing you ask him? If God decides to answer your prayer in a different way than you want him to, I'm speaking for myself, but I believe you can relate. If God chooses to answer my prayer in a way different than I ask him, I'm tempted or I'm, I may feel betrayed or I may feel doubtful or I may feel angry. Because I asked God to do this, and he didn't. But what, think about it a little bit. Why are you upset? You're not upset because God isn't doing something he said he would do. You're upset because God didn't do what you thought he should do. Do you see the difference? When you pray specifically to God for something, and he answers with a no, it's easy to, be, to feel betrayed or to be doubtful but we're not upset because he didn't do he, he never said he would do that we're not upset because he didn't follow through with what he said we're upset because he didn't answer the way we thought he should that's how easily our pride and our our self creeps into our prayers God may not answer in the specific way you want him to, but he will reward your faith. There will be a reward for seeking God in faith. 
David did not build the temple. God said, no, you may not build the temple. But he did get a reward. He had a covenant with David. He said, your kingdom is going to last forever and your son is going to build the temple. When we get a no from God, it's easy to forget all the times that God says yes. We are such an unthankful people. We pray specific things. We bring our petitions to God and he answers yes many, many times. And how many times do we go back and thank him for the things we take for granted, for a good night's rest, for getting us somewhere safely, for blessing us? This morning, Gaylord prayed that our hearts would be, I don't remember his exact word, but he prayed that our hearts would be, would be filled with, with his love and that God would teach us what he has for us today. And God is faithful. You'll go home today and you'll be blessed. And are we thankful people? That's a yes from God. We forget all the many times God says yes. Ephesians 3 says God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. I wonder if many times we aren't like the boy who went to his father asking for $5. He said, could I have $5 to go and buy a new gadget of some kind? And his father said, no, and... He couldn't even finish. He just heard the no and the son was discouraged. Does my dad even care? I never get anything. If he would have waited, what his father was going to say, no, I'm not going to give you five. I was going to give you $10. But that's how we are. God says no. And that's where we get off. Forgetting the many times that God says yes or the times that God says no Forgetting that he might have something better in mind for you. When God says no to something we want, we wonder why. And there's a very predictable answer. If someone would come to you and say, how do you respond when God, why would God ever say no to me? There's a very predictable answer that sounds like we're trying to get around a difficult issue. And it's not a very satisfying answer, but it's a very true answer. And that is this. God has reasons beyond our understanding and he does have our best in mind. Doesn't that sound nice? It's easy to say that. Well, God's ways are beyond my ways and, and he, I know he has my best in mind. And you've heard that. I don't know how to improve on that though. It's true. His ways are beyond our ways and he does have our best in mind. That's why I said at the beginning, sometimes when... When God says no, it's not much different than a parent ask, a child asking a parent for something. Parents, you do know better than your children. You do have their best in mind. Luke 11 says this, If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will you give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? My definition of abundant life might be different than God's definition for abundant life. Did you ever think of that? What I look and I, what I envision abundant life as might be different than what God has for me. And I like the way, the practical way David responded to the no's in his life. I think there's times when I waste energy and time trying to hold on to something that I was never meant to have whether it's a dream or an ambition that I have and God says no, but I waste 
time and I waste energy and I waste resources and I worry when God says no because I, I feel like I know best. But I like the way, God, I like the way David responds to the no. Here, let's look again in 2 Samuel 7, verse 28, 29, and then I'll read chapter 8, verse 1. 2 Samuel seven twenty-eight. And now, O Lord God, this is David speaking to God, Thou art that God, and thy words be true. And thou hast promised this goodness to thy servant. Therefore, now let it please thee to bless the house of thy servant, that, that it may continue forever before thee. For thou, O Lord God, hast spoken it, and with thy blessing let the house of thy servant be blessed forever. Chapter 8, verse 1. And after this, it came to pass that David smote the Philistines and subdued them. I'll stop reading there. Do you see what he did? David got the carpet pulled out from under him, and he responded very well. He responded to God with thanksgiving, and he reverted back to where he knew he had God's blessing. This is what David was called to, I don't know if he was called to do, but he had God's blessing. He was a man of war. And it says in chapter 8, And after this came to pass, David smote the Philistines and subdued them. Verse 2, And he smote Moab and measured them with a line. And it says what all he did there. In verse 3, And David smote also Hadadezer, the son of Rehob, the king of Zobah. Um, verse 4, he took a thousand chariots. Verse 5, and when the Syrians of Damascus came to succor Hadadezer, the king of... He slew the Syrians 22,000 men. He went back to what he knew how to do. He had God's blessing and he went, went and did it with a passion. Rather than complaining or getting offended, he praised God and moved in a new direction, giving God the glory. He went back to what he knew where he knew he had God's blessing and he poured himself into that. There was once a man who went swimming on a large lake at dusk. And he was out, he was a very competent swimmer, but he was out paddling around, swimming around about a hundred yards offshore, quite a ways out. And all of a sudden, an evening fog, just a freak fog just rolled in and engulfed this lake over the water. And he couldn't, he didn't know where to go. He's a hundred yards out. He couldn't see any horizon. He couldn't see any light. He couldn't see anything. So for 30 minutes, he splashed around in a panic. He would start off in one direction and he would lose confidence. So he would turn 90 degrees and he would go off in that direction to the right or to the left. It didn't make any difference which way he turned. He could suddenly, he felt his heart racing uncontrollably in a panic, not knowing which way to go. Is he going closer to shore or not? Is he swimming in a circle? He couldn't tell. So he would stop and he would float and he would collect his thoughts and then he'd go off again. He'd blindly strike out again. At last, he heard a faint voice calling from shore. So he pointed his body towards the voice that he heard and he swam to safety. I think that's how we are sometimes when we hear a no from God. We're like this man splashing around wildly in the fog, um, not knowing what God has for us, but desperately needing something. So we splash off in some direction 
and we don't know if that's the right way, so we, we quickly we turn to the left 90 degrees and we go that way, then we turn to the right because we don't know if we're going in circles or what we're doing and we start to panic. I've seen people go down, figuratively, go down hallways with closed doors pounding on every one until the right one opens or until they smash through one. That is not the way to go about responding to a no from God, although we may feel like it. Lamentations 3.25 says, The Lord is good to them that wait for him, to the soul that seeketh him. It is good that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. The Bible has many instances of waiting on the Lord after a no from God. Isaiah says, In quietness and confidence shall be your strength. Several times in the book of Psalms it says, It specifically speaks to a calm spirit waiting on the Lord for direction. Waiting is a really nice thought. To wait on the Lord is a really nice, comforting thought. But what does it mean? Paul Washer said, If you want to ruin a good sermon, ask the preacher what he's talking about. We use terms. We all do. We use terms like walk in the Spirit or wait on the Lord and and I couldn't think of others, but maybe you could think of some other terms that we use. What are we talking about? What does that mean? What does waiting on the Lord mean? It sounds nice. What does it mean? I think waiting on the Lord means this. To have your eyes and your ears and your hearts open. That is waiting on the Lord. To make the most of every opportunity. And then the righteous answered him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee and hungered and fed thee, or thirsty and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger and took thee in, or naked and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick or in prison and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as ye have done it unto the least of these my brethren, ye have done it unto me. To me, that is waiting on the Lord. Having your eyes and your ears and having your hearts open, looking for opportunities, not in a frantic, panicked way, but in a calm, confident, courageous way, knowing that we have a Heavenly Father who has told us no, but He does have our best in mind and we can wait on the Lord in that confidence. You can have confidence in that. That is waiting on the Lord. There's nothing wrong with retreating for a time, coming up with a new direction and seeking the Lord and waiting on the Lord but you can't stay there it's really a test of our belief in God as to how graciously we accept a no from him and I don't like that thought but it is it's a test of our belief in God how much do you believe in God as to how graciously you accept a no from him one more thing we need to look at here is how do you know and I, I feel like I'm not, the Holy Spirit's really going to have to work on this one because I don't feel like I have answered this well. But how do you know if God is saying no or if he wants you to be persistent? And honestly, I need help with this one. How do you know if God is saying no or if he wants you to be persistent? Paul prayed three times for the thorn in the flesh to be re- removed. And God told him no. Jesus told several parables about persistent prayer in Luke 11 and in Luke 18. 
But this much we do know. When God says no, he means no. And I say this carefully, but if we persist in asking for something after God says no, I think we are robbing ourselves of the best that God has for us. If God says no, he obviously has something better in mind for you. So if we persist after he says no, I think we're robbing ourselves of what God has for us because there's a chance that God will say, all right, you want it, you're going to get it. I had something better in mind for you, but here's what you have. I had to think of the children of Israel complaining and asking God for meat in the wilderness. God had provided for them already and they were complaining and God said no. He said no, he said no, and then they said, no, but we need meat. God said, all right, you want meat, you're going to get meat. He said, you're going to get so much, it's going to come out of your nose. That's what he said. And I think it's like that sometimes. When God says no, and we persist and persist and persist, I think we're robbing ourselves of what God, that he has something better for us. Persistence in prayer is for when we have not received an answer. Maybe we're interceding for for someone or praying for ourselves for something where we haven't received an answer interceding for a situation or something that we know to be God's will the salvation of somebody he's not willing that any should perish and we need to persist in these things 350 years ago Thomas Watson had this to say on persistence of prayer and why God would ever keep keep us asking and seeking and knocking when he could answer right away God can answer right now. Why would he keep us seeking? These are his four reasons that he came up with. Because he loves to hear the voice of prayer. You let the musician play a great while before you throw him down money because you love to hear his music. Number two, that he may humble us. We may too easily assume that we merit some ready answer or that he is at our beck and call like a butler not as a sovereign Lord and loving Father. Number three, because he sees that we are not yet fit or ready for the mercy we seek. It may be that he has things to put in place. In us, or in our church, or in the world, there are a million pieces to the puzzle. Some things go first to make place for the others. And fourthly, he says, finally, that the mercy we pray for may be more prized, that it may be sweeter when it comes. Quickly, in closing, when God tells us no, I really think we need to take an inward look at our own heart. And there were a few very challenging, for me, questions. When God says no, what is drawing me to this desire that I don't need? When God says no, what is it that's drawing me to this desire that I don't need? This disappointment that I feel when God says no is a gauge to show where you have invested your hope. The disappointment you feel is a gauge to show where you've invested your hope. It reveals what has captured your affection. Something I think we need to remember here is prayer is not just about getting our way. It's surrendering our will to God. God does not exist to serve us. God wants to hear from us. Don't 
allow a no to discourage you from bringing your petitions to God. He wants to hear from you. The only prayer in the Bible that was not commended was a prayer that had no petition in it. That is the prayer of the Pharisee that said, I thank you that I'm not like other men. There's not a petition in there. That's the only prayer that was not commended. Again, I don't mean this to be discouraging in any way. God says yes to, has said yes and will say yes to many of you. And because, just because you say God says no to you doesn't mean your heart is in the right place or is in the wrong place. So don't be discouraged by a no from God. But respond appropriately that God is our Heavenly Father. He has our best in mind. He can see the whole picture. We see such a small window of life. So don't be discouraged by a no. Be careful for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God and the peace of God which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. If you're able to, would you kneel for prayer?